Well, good morning. I'm going to try to maybe share some more personally relevant stories, right? Uh, so, I <clears throat> just got back from our walk. We've talked about this, Kan Krama. And before that, we did some meditation, some sitting meditation, because I've talked about this before, too. I tried in the beginning, because 30-ish years ago, that's what everyone thought meditation was. Dhyana, jhana. Mind training was to sit in a corner somewhere. And I argue I have realized that it takes a certain amount of um, strength, ability, uh, uh, devotion, commitment to be able to sit in a corner because the mind does get a little wild. But again, the idea was to step away from the wildness of the world. I was running around today wondering how does a modern person apply... Uh, Uh, the not-self, the no-self doctrinata. What is the self? And I really, really highly recommend people read outside of... Uh, I started to learn Sanskrit many decades ago because I considered myself a Mahayanan uh, Buddhist. Uh, then, more specifically, a Tantric, a Vajrayana. So uh, I was more interested in learning Sanskrit and maybe even Tibetan than I was the Pali. Fast forward a decade or two, started to see how important it was to understand the Pali and go back to the text. But in the meantime, I had forgotten that I was introduced to some texts uh, while learning Sanskrit. Uh, the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads. I was introduced to a number of translators who worked in Sanskrit, um, and I never even noticed how close Pali was to the Sanskrit. Um, but what am I talking about? Well, this morning we did our meditation, and we were walking, and I was trying to decide, um, how do you apply this self in this day and age when you come home to a phone call? They're calling yourself. They're not calling your not-self. And bills are addressed to the self. They're not addressed to the not-self. They're not, you know, they don't apply equanimity uh, to your taxes, right? They can't distribute what I owe amongst uh, everybody. So how do you apply this? I go back. I love how it's pretty clear when you learn about um, Anatman in Sanskrit, you understand that it's an explanation of what the self is not. Right? You are not your tax bill, um, but at the same time, you're not going to uh, avoid the same because, right? But what am I getting at here? So I put on a little Lakshmi mantra. The reason why is it came up in my YouTube feed. I thought it was kind of funny. We've moved on to a different one. The previous one, um, was new. Yeah, just premiered 69 minutes ago. Uh, it's Lakshmi's Dana Prapti uh, mantra. And I kind of chuckled because I saw it in my YouTube feed, so I put it on because they translated it as powerful prayer for financial breakthrough. And this is not uncommon. You'll see them use a lot of these mantras. 
And if they were used correctly, it would actually uh, provide some breakthroughs. But I find it funny because I chuckle, right? Lakshmi um, aside, dana prapti itself as a word does not scream financial abundance, as they say here. Uh, for me, uh, dana, many of you might be familiar with the Pali form of dana for charity, Um it's a little bit different in Sanskrit, but again, it's not what we're talking about here. So if we were speaking of, say, a grand Vedic epic and you were to mention dana, that could mean wealth or riches or treasure or, or booty from, from uh, conquest. But here we're talking about Lakshmi's mantra. This is, <laughs> let's not go into Lakshmi, um, but let's just say that uh, when we're talking wealth, Dana, in this case, what we're actually more talking about is wisdom and liberation, moksha, uh, liberation from this self-imposed uh, suffering that we all, uh, again, the same idea of equanimity exists within the Vedic tradition. They just call it Brahman nature, meaning we all share the same uh, divine spark. So, uh, and prapti, again... As I said to the wife, it's funny because prapti itself, um, I mean, I translated dana prapti as to say, um, what did I say it was, babe? Uh, they said uh, to financial abundance, wealth, right, to attract wealth. Uh, and I translated it more like um, uh, to embody uh, charity. And that was my mistake, again, because I've been steeped in, in Pali recently. But to go back, I wasn't wrong because... Dana Prapti itself, if you were to look where it's coming from, Yoga, Pantanjali, uh, Sutras, I say is a little later, but that's where a lot of the web will, will point you. If you point to a little further back, the Gita, or even the Vedic. But let's go to the Gita, right? Prapti can also mean attainment, accession, right? Prapti, uh, for example is uh, they use it uh, as it relates to liberation, as it relates to moksha. And they mention uh, opening, right? So you're opening the self. I won't even get into that, but let's just stick with prapti. So prapti itself, yes, it, it can mean um, uh, to the ability to obtain anything desired is the modern interpretation from Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras. As I said, I argue that even if it was based on the Pantanjali Sutra, uh, the ability to pain, obtain anything desired in this context means what you, uh, you are um, striving to achieve is wisdom, is liberation, um, is uh, equanimity, is uh, renunciation, right? So you're not looking for wealth and abundance unless it's an abundance of compassion or loving kindness, right? So you could look at gain, profit, but not profit as in profit and loss, but as in to profit from beneficial uh, actions or thoughts or effort, right? They talk about... Um, the eight super 
human faculties. But again, these are those extraordinary powers that I talked about. They're they're idi. They're not. They're super normal, right? The eight cities. These powers to obtain anything is not the idea that <clears throat> you're going to be a millionaire. It's the idea that you can overcome this crushing sense of self. I mean, that itself is this extraordinary power. To be able to uh, have vicarious joy for someone else. Tell me that this isn't an uncommon thing, that we will have someone who can be happy for someone else, even in the face of their own failure or loss or disadvantage. Uh, who can be compassionate in the face of an enemy? Right? As the Dalai Lama says, he finds an enemy the greatest teacher, and this is what he's talking about. It's easy to apply compassion to someone you care about or sometimes more difficult, but applying compassion to oneself. But how does one apply compassion to, say, one's abuser? Right? How? You apply it using all of these boundless energies, the Brahma Vihara, right? You use loving kindness. Why? Because where love ends, say, for example, in the case of an abuser, kindness can take over and you can imagine that they themselves are suffering and they were victims as well. You can use compassion to not only allow oneself to be forgiven, but at the same time to forgive the abuser, right? So none of this is talking about attracting abundance or wealth in the sense of commodities or uh, um, currency. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that because currency can mean uh, other things. But in a, in a modern context, the idea is to attract the abundance of compassion, of understanding, of equanimity, of loving kindness, of empathetic joy of being able to um, encourage uh, ahimsa, no harm. And most important, absolutely most important, it seems, because here I sit going through some of the what they call the, uh, the dark days of the soul. As I've mentioned before, I spent decades using uh, bodhicitta, which is compassion for others, as a focus uh, that was my visualization, that was my practice, that was my uh, pivot point. Uh, there comes a point where one, and there may be many points, where one will fall into a malaise, sometimes even worse. Right? I mean, I know people who have given up on their practice altogether because of these dark days. These are all self-imposed um, issues. And even myself, I wouldn't even let myself uh, understand that this is natural here. I've read just about everything there is, but it doesn't matter, does it? Right? Because what it takes is that, that individual, that self that I keep talking about. I mean, it's the tool. And the hindrance. So here, I'm stuck on, well, I mean, you can't get rid of the self, but I mean, how do you balance it? But at the same time, that's what's keeping me from making these actual 
advances and understanding that it's not a matter of not self or no self and it's not even a matter of what's not self it's a matter of just doing the next right thing and uh, in this case it was actually just applying those same um, uh, capacities and and here's where I made my mistake so I'd spent a lifetime Bodhicitta, which is applying, say, compassion. That was my main pivot point. Nowadays, everyone loves metta um, or, or shmirti, um, which is um, loving kindness. For me, it was, it was compassion initially. And it works, right? Because you can, you know, get a lot of peace from applying that compassion to everyone in the world. But then, you know, sometimes you need that. Or for myself, I mean, coming and seeing the last year or two, um, I, I was witnessed, even in the last 20 years, I've been witnessed to some horrible, horrible things. I mean, our, I mean, I have some disagreements with some pretty important people. I don't think that our default as a human species is compassion. I think if our default was compassion... I think we would see a much different world. Because think of how long we've been trying to do this, how many times we've tried and failed to create different societies. And I mean, as a human species itself, if our default was compassion, I think we would have had at least a few more examples of where we kind of got it a little bit better than what we have. You know what I mean. If our default was to be good to each other, there'd be less... Um, suffering in this world. So again, not as a negative. I don't see impermanence. I don't see not-self. I don't see uh, the intrinsic nature of these truths to be dissatisfying. I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a positive. And I see that in the same sense here. Right? So I see it as it's not, it's not the real issue here. Hmm. All right, sorry, got a little off track there, but no, I've thought of this for a long time because I started, honestly, something I didn't realize that could be an embarrassment at this point, but I guess the few of you that listen to my podcasts, uh, more than a few, may understand that, I mean, I don't apply labels, um, I've always kind of ignored some of the supernatural craziness of Buddhism from the very beginning, but I started... Um, existentialism, Western philosophy, uh, but I moved over to uh, Eastern philosophy and I was introduced to theosophy. And, and for me, I just ignored some of their craziness. And now 30 years later, um, I mean, I'm coming off 10 years of being sick, now really trying to, to see what I've missed and learn. And I'm seeing that geez, they've encouraged some of the most crazy aspects of theosophy. But for me, theosophy was a wonderful thing because I saw it simply, 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 simply as the moral basis of religion. Now, just like everything, politics, religion, anything, cult of personality and party politics have kind of gotten in the way here, right? As I've even said, even my teacher is guilty of being um, 
beholden to their sect, right? So they wear silly, silly little yellow hats. Not little, but but they don't see where their uh, their hypocrisy might fall. I mean, they do their best, might claim uh, to have a religion of compassion or. Um, I really enjoy recently using altruism because it really does get to the idea behind the Brahma Viharas. And again, ugh, I digress so much. But once again, here is another commonly mistranslated term. Dana pra, Prapti um, does not mean, hey, you're going to get yourself a yacht, bruvs. It's talking about our goal is to achieve liberation. So, um, if you look at dana, and now this would be Sanskrit, D-H-A-N-A, and there's two, one with an accent, one without, and prapti as well, P-R-A-P-T-I. It's actually trying to achieve this liberation. Enlightenment, samadhi, satori, moksha, moment of clarity. Is what I used to call it for a very long time. Clear and light insight or vision, as is commonly translated from the Tibetan. But it's not the, the words or the terms. Again, it's the meaning that we're seeing missed. So again, Dana Prapti, Lakshmi's mantra, is not about getting rich. The idea is about attaining your proper goals, but you know, so ignorance, delusion, that's your first step. You gotta, you gotta eliminate that, at least minimize it. If you don't realize happiness doesn't lie in fancy cars or uh, fancy houses, right? But that happiness also doesn't lie in uh, imbalance. That's what we're talking about here. So if we're talking about balance, right, prapti, then you're not going to be driving around in a big fancy Mustang while sitting on lawn chairs in your living room. Right? That's not abundance. So, but is that the mistake of the desire? Nor is it the ignorance, the delusion of self. So, for me, I was sitting there, and I mean, I've been spending about a week looking at the jhanas and all these different interpretations of what the jhanas are. Uh, but at the very beginning, my first uh, issue was the fact that, I mean, gosh, they never teach anybody that before you even come close to touching the jhanas, you should actually be resident, prapti, Right? Or pati pati. Right? So you should be using sati, pati, pati all the time. Your entry door is anapanasati. So anapanasati, pati, pati. <laughs> but you take that to the mat and off the mat and to the lineup to get into the grocery store. You take it everywhere with you. Once again, we're never discussing the meaning. We're either arguing about the message, the, the medium, 
or the words, but we never discuss the message. So again, in this case, I'm laughing because let's go back to this initial video, this powerful prayer for financial breakthrough, the Lakshmi Dana Prapti Mantra. It says, raise your vibrations to attract money is a track from Mahakatha's Divine Lakshmi Mantra. So again, so a little bit of copyright infringement, so they ripped that off. Oh no, it's the official channel. Well, good for them. So they got near 700,000 subscribers, people listening to these mantras. But if you go and read, prosperity begins with a state of mind. Yeah, it does. And what that means is you're not wishing for a yacht or a fancy car. Well, that's a good uh, definition, but they don't... So it says, feel prosperous from within and live a life of abundance. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. But at the same time, they talk about no more financial struggles. Reactivate your powers to manifest wealth. Start living a prosperous life. Oh, it almost sounds like they're getting it at a certain point, but then mantra for lifelong wealth and prosperity. Hmm. Hmm. I got to tell you, I mean, if you're a Buddhist, uh, not familiar with uh, the Hindu goal here, it's not dissimilar from our own. It's not about... Uh, indulging in this lifetime it is absolutely liberation and understanding and uh, stepping off this wheel of consumption right what would we call that the consumption chakra i'm gonna have to look up what consumption um, to consume is in sanskrit right and that's maybe what i should create as our our new movement right the anti-consumption chakra hmm but anyways, so that was what I was laughing about this morning, coming home and I'm realizing, I mean, I, I, who do you blame in this case? Is it the person who is not teaching them what it means? Uh, how can you blame them when they're probably cashing a $50,000 $50, check from just these people listening to the mantra, right? And arguably they're in business to publish the mantras, not to liberate people's minds, that's our job. That's your job, not my job. My job is my job. Well, 